Uh, we're going to be looking in Hosea tonight and beginning a series of messages through this Old Testament book. And uh, I told you this morning, Hosea is a book about God's redemption, demonstrating the heart of God in dealing with an unfaithful people, His people Israel. It's, uh, it is a marvelous story. It's told in very, very plain, very straightforward language. We shouldn't be put off by that because it tells us a great story. Now, tonight's message I call Something's Wrong at Home. Something's Wrong at Home. Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Hosea was a man called of God. We see very uh, abruptly right up front. God began to speak by Hosea. In his day, he was known as a prophet. Today, we would call him uh, more of a preacher. He ministered to the northern kingdom of Israel, and his ministry lasted for about 50 years. About 50 years. From the very beginning of the book, then, God is going to show us that Hosea's message and his life were all wrapped up in each other. God would work in Hosea so that his message was his life and his life was his message. You, you see that show up in the Old Testament prophets again and again and again. It's impossible to separate the men from their message. And in fact, God worked deliberately in the case of many of these prophets. And uh, sometimes, uh, though he might not have worked specifically in their lives like he did with Hosea and some of the others... Yet it's intriguing to see how that oftentimes their message uh, would imitate, imitate their life experiences. Uh, I think about Jonah, for example. God was calling Jonah uh, to be a prophet to a rebellious, hard-headed, hard-hearted people who were heading for his judgment. So what did Jonah do? <laughs> he was rebellious, hard-hearted, impotent, uh, strong, uh, just hard-headed, refusing, rebellious, and headed into God's judgment. Uh, God, I don't see any indication that God arranged that in Jonah's life, but neither could we say that God ever looked at Jonah and said, can you believe he's doing that? <laughs> I sent him to Nineveh, and look at there, he's going to Tarshish. No, God knew what he was going to do. He sent him to preach to a rebellious people who were headed into judgment, so he was rebellious. And he lived it out, you see, before he preached it. Um, Isaiah, Isaiah who, who was, by the way, a contemporary of Hosea, Isaiah was preaching in the southern kingdom at the same time that Hosea was preaching in the northern kingdom. 
And there were all kinds of, of strange things that happened. We're going to see tonight that God would give Hosea's children, for example, some very strange names. And you'll think that's the case until you go read the book of Isaiah and see the names that God gave to Isaiah's two kids. Uh, they're so long, I don't even try to pronounce them. I mean, you think Mephibosheth is a mouthful? Oh, go see about Isaiah's kids. And the same thing then would happen to Hosea. God, God was working in Hosea's life and going to require him to do what we would consider some strange things, but he did the same for Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 20, uh, you'll find that God told Isaiah to take off his sackcloth, that is his outer garments, his robe as we would call it, and his sandals so as to go naked and barefoot for three years. Now, he wasn't completely naked, uh, that's just his upper torso. But what that was was the kind of thing that they did to people who had been subjugated, that is, who had been conquered, and they were being carried away captive into slavery. So they would strip off their upper garments. And uh, by the way, as God says, and it's right there in Isaiah chapter 20, leave part of their buttocks exposed, the top part. And by the way, that was a sign, a symbol of shame, and of slavery. If Isaiah was around today, he'd be telling a lot of folks, you need to pull your britches up. <laughs> I don't think they're, they're, they're saying what they think they're saying. It's a sign. Historically documented fact, it was a sign of slavery. Isn't that interesting? God was preaching that message to Isaiah for three years he was giving that message then to the people of Egypt and of Ethiopia who were about to be conquered, Isaiah chapter 20. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called when he was a very young man, very, very young in age. And in Jeremiah chapter 16, God said, The word of the Lord also came to me, saying, You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons and daughters in this place. But thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place and concerning their mothers who bore them and their fathers who begot them in this land, they shall die gruesome deaths. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried, but they shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. They shall be consumed by the sword and famine, and their corpses shall be meat for the birds of heaven and for the beast of the earth. Here's this promising young, single preacher boy, Jeremiah. Everybody's saying to him, Jeremiah, when, you're, when are you going to get married? And remember, in the Old Testament economy, the, uh, the Jews were required to marry. God's first command to humanity was to what? Be fruitful and multiply. So they considered a refusal to be married to, to be a violation of God's command. It was unheard of. We, we don't see how significant this was for God to say to Jeremiah, don't marry. He's getting older and older, and you must imagine how many times people said to Jeremiah, when are you going to get married? Jeremiah said, I can't. God told me not to get married or have children in this land. Well, why would he say that? Well, Jeremiah would say, I can tell you, but you're not going to like it. Jeremiah. 
So it certainly wasn't only Hosea. There were many others. We saw it with Ezekiel, who uh, God required to do some uh, strange things. We would call things that uh, he did to try to get the message across of God to his people. The book of Hosea, after I've looked at it carefully, contains a synopsis. I don't think it contains every word, but a synopsis of eight different messages that Hosea preached over the course of those 50 years. The summation, the summary, if you will, of eight uh, different sermons. Some were undoubtedly, as we see in, in these texts over the next uh, couple of three chapters, we'll see some of these sermons were told in story form. Others were more like regular messages. Some were livid rebukes and reproaches that no doubt Hosea thundered when he preached them. Others were tender and pleading. And we begin tonight with the introduction of the first of these messages, a message that I call something is wrong at home. Because Hosea, you see, was going to have a very dysfunctional family. God was dealing with his own people, and, and they were a dysfunctional family. God had said of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 20, My tabernacle is spoiled, and all my cords are broken. My children are gone forth of me, and they are not. There is none to stretch forth my tent anymore and to set up my curtains. God speaking to Israel as his children. And then as now, they were very commonly aware of what it was like to give children tasks. When I was growing up, they were called chores. Did anybody else have chores to do? And so God looked around at his children. When it was time to do the chores, it was time to stretch out the tent and, and drive home the stakes. That was the work that the children would do. And they were nowhere to be found. Even today, we still talk about how God said, my house is full, but my fields are empty. That's an old song. It's not scripture, but it's a very good song. It reminds us how that we all want to sit around God's table, but nobody wants to work in the fields. And that's what Jeremiah 10 and verse 20 is about. God was seeing his children, and when it was time to work, they were, they were gone. Isaiah 54, for thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So Israel, spoken of, and not only in this passage, but there are others. We just won't take the time to look at them tonight. Other passages where God would speak of Israel as his wife, of the children of Israel, then, of course, as his children, and himself as the father. And obviously, this is figurative language, but it certainly depicts the nature of God's relationship with them. He considered them to be his own special treasure now the first part of the message that we'll see tonight is simply introduces us to the characters involved in the story and the first one is the preacher himself the prophet Hosea the word of the Lord came to Hosea the son of Beeri in the days of Uzziah Jotham Ahaz and Hezekiah kings of Judah and in the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash king of Israel. We're not given a lot of information, you see, about who Hosea was. We don't know that. 
who he was really as a person or an individual wasn't all that important or God would have told us. What made Hosea important was that God had chose him, God had called him, and God was going to use him to speak his message uh, to the people. And, and he identifies himself by the people that he would prophesy to, the ministry, the, the, the leadership of the kings. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the four kings of Judah. That's how we know that Hosea's ministry would span about 50 years. And also in the days of Jeroboam. We know that his name means salvation. Uh, Joshua is a form of this name. As is the name Joseph, by the way. Savior, salvation is all about it. And for that matter, uh, the name Jesus is also uh, akin to Hosea's name. We know then that he was a prophet. God's hand was obviously on his life. And that he was a man who stood for God in the midst of very difficult times. In the days of Hosea's prophecy, we know that Israel had formed a lot of international alliances. And because of those international alliances then, they were enjoying a time of peace and a time of great prosperity. And in the midst of that peace and prosperity, of course, they didn't, they didn't feel threatened from their enemies. They had plenty of food on their table, plenty, plenty of money to spend and, and time uh, to enjoy it. And they had abandoned God and were moving farther and farther and farther away from Him. Idolatry was flourishing. It always does when people turn away from the true God and the worship of the true God. It doesn't mean that they just stop worshiping. They find something else to worship. Something else has got to give them that uh, uh, religious feeling. And for them, it was the Baals. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel had certainly led out in that long ago. But it hadn't gone away even though they had. And so it was a time of violence, and it was a time of crime. It was a time of bloodshed. It was a time of drunkenness, a time of sexual immorality, a time when in worship they had turned away from God and turned to idols. It was then on the surface a very prosperous, fine-looking nation of people. I mean, it looked like on the surface everything was fine. Uh, there was a time in our own country when... The prosperity of our nation was defined as having a, a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. It looked fine. I mean, everybody, all the nice little houses all in a row looks fine. Looks fine. Oh, but when you look deeper, it was a time of terrible social injustice, a time of deep spiritual problems. Their prosperity led them to a state of spiritual indifference. Into this environment, then God called his preachers and sent them to them. He always has. I believe he always will. Until Jesus comes, God will be sending people, calling men to go and preach his word to people, whether they want it or not. Hosea followed up Amos. Amos, one of my favorite Bible characters because God sent Amos. Amos was a farmhand, a field hand. He didn't call him out of seminary. Uh-uh. He called him out of the fields. 
And he sent him of all places to Bethel, the religious capital of Israel. They didn't ask him to come. They asked him to leave. Go back to Judah. Take that kind of backwoods preaching down there to those people. They need it. (laughs) But this is Bethel. This is the king's court, as I said. You can't come up here preaching like that. They didn't ask him to come, ask him to leave. But Amos had that classic response. I wasn't a prophet. That is, I was not a prophet by profession. I didn't make myself a prophet. I didn't choose to become a prophet. I was not a prophet. I wasn't the son of prophet. I wasn't a prophet by profession. I wasn't a prophet by parentage. I wasn't the son of a prophet. (laughs) But the Lord took me. And he called me then to be a prophet unto his people. And then he went on and he said, Thus saith the Lord God. I like Amos. I like him. He had all the qualifications he needed. God took me. God called me. He had an incredible ministry. Hosea followed on to that. He wasn't the first one that God had sent. He wouldn't be the last. He was called of God. To deliver these messages that God had put on his heart. That's the prophet Hosea. Then we see the harlot. Now I use that word because the Bible does. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, notice that. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea. Right off the bat, right up front, one of the first messages that God gave to Hosea was this one, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblim, and she conceived and bore him a son. As we know little about Hosea, we know little about Gomer. Her name means perfect. (laughs) We always kind of chuckle when we read the word Gomer in Scripture. How could you have a little girl named Gomer? Well, it makes better sense when you know what Gomer meant. Perfect. Perfect. Probably an indication of her beauty and her appearance. God provides Hosea with an explanation for the strange requirement of taking a wife like Gomer, perfect as she was. Uh, She also was a harlot. God intends then to use his relationship with Gomer as an example of the way Israel treated God and as an example of the way God was working in Israel. Now the imagery of all this is so troubling that a lot of Bible students have kind of worked hard on this to try to explain it away. Uh, uh, There are commentaries who... Uh, that suggests that this whole story is simply a parable, that God could not have possibly asked Hosea to do something like this. This whole thing was just a parable. Uh, But folks, there is absolutely no indication in this story that it was a parable. None. None. There are those, and some of them very prominent, 
who believe that Hosea was writing from a historical standpoint. And they look at the passage then and they say that Gomer was a, a perfect and beautiful young lady and that uh, Hosea uh, knew nothing about anything. There was nothing wrong with her initially, but even though he took her then under normal, what we would consider normal circumstances, expecting her to be true and faithful to him, uh, yet then later she became uh, unfaithful to him and became a harlot. And there's a lot of people, there, I've ran across several and researching this and looking at it, that's, that is a prominent viewpoint. But, you know, I, I'm a biblical literalist. I just take the Bible literally for the most part, unless there's some special reason there that indicates that it has to be uh, some type of uh, metaphor or proverbial kind of statement. And there's nothing, there's nothing in that here that would indicate it. Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing for the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam. Now, I could give them just this much credit to that latter theory, the idea that Gomer was fine when Hosea married her, but then later she became unfaithful. I could give just this much to it. Uh, even if she was at the time not involved in all the things she would later get involved in, God knew that it was already in her heart. And so did Hosea. How did Hosea know? God told him. So even if, if it hadn't developed yet, but it would develop later still, Hosea knew fully well what he was getting into. I, I could go that far with it, but I, I still don't see it that way. I just see it like God said it. Just take God at his word. He told Hosea to marry an immoral woman. How he met her is unknown, nothing in there. I've read even fictional accounts of this story. I've heard a lot of preachers who waxed eloquent about a hall, how they, how they met each other and fell in love. and None of that's in the scripture, okay? How God worked in his life then to know that he would take her is really unknown. It's all just very clear. Hosea knew who Gomer was. He knew what she was. He knew what she would become. But he married her and apparently loved her anyway. Because you see, if, if Hosea is going to be a picture of God and his relationship with unfaithful Israel, then the whole thing can only work if Hosea truly loves Gomer. How could that happen? I suggest to you tonight that God did it. God did it. So that Hosea married her, loved her. Yeah, he knew. He didn't, don't you know? Yep, yep. Don't you know? Yeah, yes, you do. And as we'll see this story unfold, not only did he love her, but he never stopped loving her. You know, it's one thing for God to command Hosea to marry. It's quite another thing, you know, for him to end up married to Gomer. I wonder how in the world Gomer managed to marry 
Hosea, you might expect her to say something like, what, me? <laughs> Marry a preacher. <laughs> oh, I never think about this. And I don't think about a conversation I had many years ago with a young lady who was telling me, you know, well, I'll guarantee you one thing, I'll never marry a preacher. Her daddy was a preacher. She'd been raised in a preacher's home, and she didn't want any part of that. I'll never marry a preacher. Yeah, she married a lost guy. True story. He got saved. (laughs) True story. (laughs) God called him to preach. I laugh every time I see them two. They've been married all these years. It was a preacher's wife. I don't know. The Bible is silent on it all. Did they have a courtship? I don't know. Did they exchange gifts? I don't know. Was there an arrangement made between Hosea and Gomer's father? I don't know. Did they have a big wedding? I don't know. All I know is what's in this passage. God spoke to Hosea, Hosea obeyed, and Hosea married Gomer, and he apparently loved her. That's the story. So there's the prophet, and then there's the wife, Gomer, that brings us into the story of the children. Then the Lord said to him, and this is when he had a son, verse 4, call his name Jezreel. For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel and the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. By the way, the valley of Jezreel has another name. Har-Megiddo, valley of Megiddo, same valley. She conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow nor by sword or battle by horses or horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. And then God said, call his name Lo-Ami. For you're not my people and I will not be your God. Something's wrong at home. And the story is told in the three children born into this divinely appointed household. Verse 3 tells us that Gomer conceived and bore Hosea a son. It's very clear. The Bible says it very emphatically. She bore Hosea a son. And his name was called Jezreel. The word Jezreel means to scatter to scatter, or to cast out, or to cast away. And it was used then to promise the judgment of God upon the nation of Israel. Every time that Amos told somebody what the boy's name was, this is my son Jezreel, he was given the opportunity to preach a sermon, and I'm sure he did. You can see him holding up his son, maybe before a crowd, saying, this is my boy, Jezreel, that's born to me and my wife, Gomer, and God told us to name him Scattered, so I could warn you that God is about to scatter this nation throughout the earth. You're headed into judgment. That was Hosea's son. 
Then in the Bible's very discreet way, verse 6 tells us that she conceived again and bore a daughter. You'll notice that verse 6 does not tell us that the daughter was Hosea's. Hosea, she bore Hosea a son, but the second child, she bore a daughter. God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. The word Lo-Ruhamah means no mercy or no pity, no compassion, or even no love. Little girls, you see, should be cherished and nurtured by their fathers. They should be treated with love and compassion. But here's a little girl whose name suggests that that was not to be her lot in life. We don't know what happened. There's only a hint of doubt given to us about Loruhamah. She is not called Hosea's daughter, and her name means no pity or no mercy. But as soon as Lo-Ruhamah was weaned then, the Bible says that Gomer conceived again, and this time there is no room for doubt, as the little boy was named Lo-Ami. And Lo-Ami means not mine. Not mine. The birth of these three children, just by pure biology, we know, was spread out over the course of at least three years, maybe longer. We don't know how long it was between the birth of Jezreel and, and the birth of the, of, the, of the little girl, and the little girl then and the little boy were packed in close together, maybe uh, just a, a year or two apart at most, a few months. But we do know that this marriage that began with love and promises has turned into a nightmare of infidelity. When such things happen in any family, it's the subject of uh, many conversations and scandalous when it happens to a preacher's family. But we can only imagine what must have happened. What we need to remember tonight is that we're not talking about a week here. We're not talking about a month. We're talking about years that Hosea lived out the pain of this torment without even a hint of privacy because the God of the universe was making sure that his private pain was front page news all over Israel. Hosea's pain, though, was not pointless pain. For the child of God, it never is. What did all this story mean? We need to remember, first of all, that this had a prophetic application. You remember that God had worked in Hosea's life so that his life was his message. His message was his life. His life became a mirror image, a portrayal of the message that he was preaching. The marriage was arranged by God so that Hosea's life then... Uh, would enable him to preach this message again and again. It is a message of how God took Israel, a people who were prone to wander, a people who were unfaithful and who served other gods, even when God was working for them in Egypt. We can't say, well, you know, the children of Israel, when God got them out of Egypt, oh, they were all perfect and just fine. No, they weren't. They were idolatrous. 
How do we know it? Because even when they got them out of Egypt, even after drowning Pharaoh's army in the sea, they get up to Mount Sinai, Moses up on the mountain communion with God, and Aaron's down there taking their jewelry and throwing it in the fire, and this calf comes walking out. I love that story. <laughs> that's Aaron's story. You know that's not what happened. But I mean, idolatry was deeply in them. God knew that. God knew it. God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. And Abraham was surrounded by idolatry. Yes, he believed in the one true God. But idolatry was running deep in their veins. And it was from the very beginning. And God knew it. God knew it. He knew. He knew when he called them. He knew when he established them as a nation. He knew when he brought them out of Egypt. He knew when he set them up in Israel. He knew. He knew. He knew what they were. They were a people prone to wonder. Israel, no doubt, vowed to change. Probably Gomer thought she was going to change too. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 8, all the people answered together and said to Moses, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Lord, they said they're going to do everything you tell them to do. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm sure when they said that, they meant it. But they didn't do it. Hosea's first child, then, name scattered because that's what sin always does. Sin takes people and scatters them. Sin takes families and scatters them. Sin takes relationships and scatters it. And homes and lives and potential and talents and scatters it to the four winds, squandering the blessings of God and forfeiting His best until it's wasted and gone. Scattered. Scattered. Second child named no pity because there comes a time when God will no longer show mercy. If that doesn't scare us tonight, we need to think about it again. Third child was named not mine because God was going to reject Israel just as Hosea was feeling toward these children that were not his. There was then a prophetic application to this whole story. But there's also a practical application. I can't help but wonder what it was like to be little children named God scatters and no pity and not mine. Remember, Hosea preached for 50 years, so these kids were grown adults and still running around. Their name was Jezreel. No pity, no mercy, not mine. We have no way of knowing how many times that Hosea would maybe grab up the kids and take them off preaching with him while Gomer was out doing who knows what. You see, there's a very personal side of this. And the personal side is that when our relationship with God suffers then it's inevitable almost that we're going to find ourselves being attracted towards sin. And when we go into sin, then our families, our children, those closest to us are always going to pay the worst price. There's a lot of children in America tonight living a scattered life with nobody to show them any compassion, nobody to love them, nobody to call daddy 
All that misery flows out of the same fountain, springs from a people who turn away from God and turn to sin instead. Practical application. We'll see then that the book of Hosea is not a story of people who rejected God, but of a people who wanted to live with God and enjoy His blessings while carrying on an affair with the world. That's who God was addressing. It's a story of the high cost of low living. One preacher called it always like that. High cost of low living. It's a story that puts on vivid display a simple truth that we probably all got committed to memory. Romans chapter 5 verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us as sinners. He died for us knowing who we were and knowing what we were and knowing what we would continue to be. He died for us knowing we were helpless. He died for us knowing we were ungodly. He loves us. And He shows His grace to us. <laughs> One writer called this scandalous grace. Scandalous grace. As we go through this great Old Testament story, you remember what I tell you tonight. There'll be a time when you ask yourself, Hosea, don't you have any self-respect? Hosea, don't you have any pride? How can you keep loving her after all she's done? But you see, that's not just Gomer's story. That's my story. Sure's to. God loves us with an amazing love. And He never gives up. Do you know that God tonight? The God who loves us? Do you know the Jesus who died for our sins? Who saw us in our sin? Saw us in our rebellion, saw us in our rejection, and yet he loved us and died on the cross for our sins. If you don't know him, you can. Because the Bible says that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting love. The King James, it'll have Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us. And the word commend means to hold up something for examination. Here, look at this. And that's why it's rendered in modern translation. God proved or demonstrated His love for us. How much does God love us? He loved us enough to die for us while we were still sinners and to offer us eternal life and forgiveness. That's the God that we serve. Let's stand together, please.